Did y'all catch what Nick and Kevin are reading back to me up here? Say it again. Say it again, Nick. All of them. Tell everybody what you wrote down that we talked about last week. Okay. We didn't talk about Adam and Eve. And we talked about the idea that this conflict that we live in on a daily basis, this struggle between the flesh and the spirit, this fight we have with sin, started all the way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. That's where the conflict came from. And just like Adam and Eve had a choice whether or not to sin then, we face that same choice every single day. And it helps us to understand where that conflict started, this conflict that we live in on a daily basis. If we're going to know what we're supposed to do and and what we're facing, we need to look at where that came from so we have a better understanding of it. And just like we saw last week where, where Adam and Eve had this sin, Adam and Eve didn't get the opportunity to really have a second chance, did they? What did God do to them? Threw them out of the garden. God said, y'all are done. You messed up. You're out of here. You see, like that card game where some of us want a second chance, there's times when, when as humanity, we might say, okay, God, why, why didn't you give them a second chance? Why didn't you give them the opportunity to start over? Why didn't you give them a round two? And that's what we're going to look at tonight is, as we're looking at what happened here and looking at what happened with Adam and Eve, what messed up perfection, what messed up what God made was sin. And that sin, just like you guys said, had the consequences. And if you continue to read in the book of Genesis, you will find out that it's not too much farther away that God does have a round two. Because if you continue to read what happens in Genesis, you see Cain and Abel, and you see the sin that's between them. And then you see the folks who are trying to, to build the Tower of Babel, and you see everything that happens there and how God confuses their language. And, and God God is watching man and seeing what man does. But then as you get into Genesis chapter 6, we encounter something very significant. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5 tonight. And what we're going to see, if you got your U version, you can open that up too, or, or whatever it is that you use for your Bible, and follow along. We're going to see that, that just like sin has consequences, and we've got to know where that sin started, that God gives us a round two, just like he's going to give humanity a round two tonight. But let's look at why God decided to do that. Look at what happens in Genesis 6, verse 5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Now there's a big difference between what we see here and what we saw just a few chapters ago. When God was creating everything, when God made the plants, made the animals, made the earth, and then made man, he looked at it and continually he said, it's good, it's good. Then he threw man and woman in there, he said, it's very good. Everything that God made was perfection. He made goodness. He made pure things. But now when we look at this in verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. You see, what was the case in the beginning is not the case anymore. What happened? What? We sinned. Sin messed that up. 
Sin messed up what happened with Adam and Eve. And just like we talked about last week, when you take a rock and you skip it across a lake or skip it across a pond, that rock makes ripples. And those ripples then affect all the water around it. And then when everybody else starts picking up those rocks and they're throwing their own rocks, we've got ripples upon ripples and problems upon problems. And that's what's happened here with humanity. Adam and Eve, they sinned and they started those effects. But then everybody after Adam and Eve also sinned. And the problems just kept getting worse and worse and worse until God looks at it and says, man, what's going on here? And as God looks at this, he sees that everything, everything is affected by sin. We see it every day, don't we? Tell me some of the things that you see on a regular basis that you know are, are a result of sin. What's that? People? Some, yes. What'd you say? Bad grades? Okay. Wait, why bad grades? Certain things you do give you bad grades, or certain things you don't do cause bad grades. Yes. Reputations? Okay. Reputations can be totally destroyed because of sin. What else? Sports? Okay. Sports take up a lot of time. What else? Anything? What about when you see in the news, what are some of the effects of sin that you see around you every single day? Murder. Kidnapping. What about the case with the three girls that just escaped after ten years? Of being held captive or somebody that's killed her boyfriend. Yeah, guys, we see the effects of sin every single day. Rape, murder, incest, theft, all kinds of things are a result of sin. Now, it doesn't specifically name those things, but it tells us that God saw the intention of man's heart and it was evil. It was wicked. Sin has taken a hold of the human race. And if sin exists and it's not God's design for mankind, if his original design, his plan was perfection, right? Did sin exist in that perfection? No. So if God's original design is perfection without this sin, then God's very nature demands that he does something about that sin. Because if God is perfect and God is holy and God is righteous and God can't have anything to do with sin, if sin is there, God's got to do something about it. So God acts on his creation because he sees the sin and he sees the wickedness and the evil and what he talks about here. And as we look here and we see this sin, the first thing we see in this passage is that sin requires God's justice. It requires it. Not God saying, well, you know what, I probably ought to do something about that. No, God's very character demands that he does something about sin because that's who God is. Look at what it says here in the next verse. Verse 6, it says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now let's, let's, let's talk about two words that are in there for just a second. There's two words in there that talks about God. It says, the Lord regretted and it grieved him. These are strong words. Now, I want you guys to, to answer this for me. When, when we use those words, what kind of things do you think about when we say, hey, I, I'm grieved over something or I regret something? What kind of things causes us to use those words? Uh, missed opportunity. Okay. Failure. Failure. Bad choice. Sadness. Sadness. 
Because of what? Because of death? Okay. Did you say something? I can't hear you. Failing a test. Grief over not studying. General stress. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. But what I'm hearing from you guys is that we use those words regret or grieve or grief because there are things that happen in our lives that we wish hadn't happened the way they did. Am I right? Is that what I'm hearing? Okay. Now, Scripture uses those two words for God. It says that God grieved and God had regret. Do you think God grieved the fact that he made man in the first place? Why? He said it was good. It was perfect. You see, when, when we grieve over something, it's because something has happened that we don't really like, but we never saw it coming. We never knew that was going to be the outcome, because if we had seen the outcome, we probably would have made a different choice, right? Although if you don't study for a test, you're probably guaranteed to fail, so you might want to work on that one. I, I said probably. I didn't say it's 100% certain, but it's a good probability. But you see right here, guys, it's using this word, it's using these two words in reference to God. And you see, when, when I read this, 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 creates, this creates a question in my mind. It may create a question in your mind. If God is perfect and God knows everything, and then God would have known that Adam and Eve were going to sin. So why would he make them? Why would he create them in the first place? If he knew that his creation was going to go astray and that it was going to cause him grief and it was going to cause him pain, why even go that route? Prove what point? What's that? That seems kind of arrogant to me. Why would God create somebody just to prove how good he is? Well, I think he's like, preach, like, I mean, God, it says that God is a jealous God and that he, like, he wants us to honor him and praise him and stuff. However, if he wants us to do it on our own will instead of creating robots, he created humans and gave us that choice. You had a choice to turn away from Okay. Anybody agree with Madison? Anybody disagree? The rest of you just don't have an opinion. That's okay. Yes, Nick? We don't know. You make a very good argument. But the truth is, we don't know exactly. Scripture does. Scripture does. If you read the whole of Scripture, if you study theology, you start to learn who God is. And you start to learn the character and nature of who God is. That's how I can stand up here and I can make a statement like God is perfect and God is holy and God is just and God is righteous. Because that's what we see as we go through Scripture. And some people might tell you, you know what, if God regretted and God grieved, then God didn't know what was going to happen. But that's not who God is. 
Scripture tells us that God knows everything. Every single detail of your life and my life. God knew what Adam and Eve were going to do. God knew what you and I were going to do that was going to be sin. It's all over Scripture. In, in Job 37.16, we see that, that the Bible says God is perfect in knowledge. In 1 John 3.19, it says He knows everything. In Job 28.24, for He looks at the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Hebrews 4.13, and no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. You see, God knew when he created Adam and Eve that they would have a choice, just like Madison was talking about. And he knew what choice they were going to make. But even though he knew that, he went ahead and gave them that choice. It would be like this. Say Miss Kathleen got pregnant. She's not. Just saying that. And we found out before she had that baby that that baby was going to be born with some disabilities. Now, some people would tell you the argument is, well, just because you can't, you can't give that child the same quality of life as everybody else, that child's always going to be in a disadvantage, that child's always going to have problems, it's going to be sick, it's not going to be able to do what everybody else their age is going to be able to do. If I knew that ahead of time, I have the choice. Do I terminate that pregnancy? Because I know their quality of life is not going to be as good as everybody else. I know what they're going to experience or do I, because that's my child, no matter what happens to that child, no matter how that child is born, still allow that child to be born and love that child to the best of my ability and grieve when the day comes that that child can't do everything that their friends can do or grieve the day that that child passes away a lot younger than I think they should. You see, my love for that child requires me to go ahead and let that happen. And to give them the best life I can. And that's kind of a, it's a weird parallel, but that's kind of what God did here. God, because of his love for us, he created us to have a relationship with him. To know him, to experience him intimately. And yes, God could have said, you know what? One day, Betsy Funches, she's going to mess up. I'm just going to stop her right now before she's ever born. God could have done that. But God loves us so much and wants us to know him so much that he says, go ahead and live. But you do have the choice. And even though he knows the choice we're going to make, he knows the sin that's going to be in your life and the sin that's going to be in my life, God lets us make that choice anyway because more importantly, he wants a relationship with us. And that's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. That's exactly what happened with the rest of mankind up until this point. God said, I love you and I want you all to choose me, but I know which road you're going to go down. You see, this goes back to the very character of who God is. We can say, you know what, it's not really fair for God to do what he's about to do in this book. Because we're getting ready to see what God's going to do next. And by our thinking, we don't think it's fair when, when people are punished or, you know, what's going to happen. Adam and Eve, they got kicked out of the garden. Well, I mean, come on. They ate a piece of fruit. Was that really fair? Well, yeah, it was. Because God is just and we are not. 
Our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. You and I, we think about what's fair to us, but our thoughts and our minds are messed up by sin. So it's hard for us to comprehend who God is. It's hard for us to see his justice the way he sees it when he looks at sin. But God created us anyway. He created mankind anyway. And because of that, mankind sinned and God knew it was coming. And that sin required God's justice. Look at what it says in verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. He's grieved. He's hurt. But he knew it was coming because he's God. Because he already had the knowledge. But their sin still required him to act. Still required him to do something. Sin requires God's justice. And what he decides here is that the penalty that is going to be for the sin here is going to be death. He's going to wipe everything out, right? He says he's going to wipe out man. He's going to wipe out animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens. He's going to wipe out everything because he is God and he is just. Deuteronomy 32.4 says the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. His very character is perfection and righteousness. That means God is the one who determines what is just and what is not. So when we look at something and say, God, that's not fair, guess what? We don't get to make that decision. We try to at the best of our understanding, but the truth is God is the one who determines what is just and what is truth and what is righteous. And that's why his justice is required when he looks at sin and he, uh, he addresses that sin through the flood. That's what happens. That sin requires a consequence, which is what we talked about last week, right? And that consequence that we see here is death. Romans 6.23 tells us that. It tells us the punishment for sin is death. Death to everything is what God is getting ready to do here. Sin has distorted creation so much that it receives God's justice. But you see, something we need to make sure we don't miss here is we begin to see a pattern here. Right here in Genesis, we begin to see something very important. As you continue to read this story and you continue to read the rest of God's story throughout the Bible, we see that sin sin corrupts creation and requires a punishment, that penalty. And as you read through the entire story of the Old Testament, you start to see where man sins over and over and over again. And that's where the sacrificial system comes from in the Old Testament. Where people brought animals and plants and they killed them. And you you can read through the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Leviticus, and it talks about all of the, the offerings that they're supposed to do where they bring grain offerings and fruit and they're supposed to bring animals and they throw the blood on the altar and they burn the meat and they're doing all of these things because they are paying the penalty for their sin. And then as we get to the New Testament, you see where every bit of this is leading. You see the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see all of those offerings, all of those sacrifices, even what God is getting ready to do here, 
doesn't work. It works for a time, but it's not the end all. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, guess what? You and I today would still be killing animals and bringing food to a temple, to an altar, and making sacrifices to God. Sounds kind of gross, doesn't it? But that's what we'd have to do because we have to make sacrifice. Sin requires death. That's the payment for it. That's what God lines out for us in Scripture. And Jesus Christ comes in, and through Jesus we see this account of how sin shows us God's justice. Because Jesus Christ took our sin, right? And because He took our sin, He took God's justice for our sin. He took the death that we deserve. He took the pain on the cross that you and I gave Him. But you see, the cool thing about this, about how sin shows us God's justice, sin also shows us God's mercy. Look at what it says in the next verse here. Verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Out of all of creation, we see one man singled out by God. And it tells us that he was a righteous man. And right there at the end of verse 9, it tells us the key to Noah being singled out by God. What's it say? Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. Now, remember what Scripture tells us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Was Noah perfect? No. Noah was a sinner just like you and I are sinners. Just like all of these other people on the earth were sinners. Everybody sinned. But you see, there was something distinctive about Noah. Noah walked with God. It doesn't tell us what those details are. We don't know what that meant for Noah, but whatever it was, he was focused on God and what he was doing. And because he was focused on God and what he was doing, he was found righteous before God. Because of his posture towards God, his life and his family are spared. Now here's a little side question for you. What's your posture to God tonight? What is it? Some of us have a posture of, okay, you know what? God's cool, but my back's kind of to him right now. That's my posture to God. Some of us, we're facing him, but we're still looking the other way. You know what, I, I like this Jesus thing. I'm going to follow God, but man, that's got my attention over there. And some of you, I pray, your posture to God is you're on your knees before him, looking at him. You see, Noah's posture to God was one that was looking at God that was walking with God side by side, leading where God took him. Because remember, God created us to know him intimately. And just like sin shows us God's justice, it shows us God's mercy by what he does with Noah here. God says, I got one guy, and because he's walking with me, because I see him as righteous, I'm going to save that guy and I'm going to save his family. We see God's mercy. We see the punishment for sin, but we see his mercy by the fact that he takes Noah and he spares his family. That same mercy is shown to you and I, just like his justice is shown to us through Jesus Christ, that mercy is shown to us through Jesus Christ as well. Because the punishment we deserve is death. The punishment we deserve is to be separated God with, from God forever. And yet because of Jesus Christ, we receive the mercy of God. 
We get the opportunity to come before him and to confess him and to ask him to forgive us of our sins because scripture tells us that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. If that's mercy, I don't know what is. You see, we're talking about this sin and we're talking about this whole conflict thing because sin is what puts us in conflict with God. Yes, it causes problems between us. And we'll talk about that in the next couple weeks. But before we ever talk about what it does between us, we've got to understand the problem it causes between us and God. And that sin requires God's justice in our life. But that sin also shows us the mercy that he gives us. And that's what we see here in this story. That's the pattern that we start to understand. And as the story goes on, Noah builds the ark that God tells him to build. He brings all the animals, which I want to ask this question. How many of each kind of animal did he bring? Two. Is that it? What's the difference, Micah? You're shaking your head no. Do you know why? Okay. Seven. Two of every animal. Seven of every clean animal. Never heard that before, have you? Go back and read it. It's there. There's several different things. Hey, if you follow, if you follow Old Testament Jewish law and tradition... There were certain animals they couldn't eat. Noah and his family are on this boat for 40 days. they got to eat something. So they had to bring clean animals, more than just the two, because if they had eaten the two, then the whole race is gone. doesn't tell us that. tells us he took two of every animal, seven of every clean animal. Because we also see, and what we're going to see, he does something with some of those animals when he gets off the boat, too. Just a little side note. This is why I tell you guys, hey, when you're sitting in Sunday school as a little kid, now, don't take what you hear at face value. You've been taught your entire life it was two of every animal. Yes, it was, but there's more to the story. No, they're not liars. They just didn't tell you the whole story. They just didn't tell you the whole story. Guys, Hey, this is why I'm telling you, read it for yourself. Read it for yourself and you will find things. You will find stories like a woman who lured a man into his tent and when he went to sleep, she put a spike through his temple to kill him. That's in Scripture. You will find when one of the prophets of God, there were some teenagers making fun of him saying, go up you bald head when he was going up the side of a mountain and he called down two bears and it mauled the teenagers. Yes. Hey, I'm not making this stuff up. It happened. Read. Hey, read your Bible. If for no other reason, there are some really cool things that happened in there, some really gross things that happened in there. But it's there. But as you, as you read this, guys, you follow this story, and, and God sends this flood after Noah's taken all the animals on the boat. And for 40 days, it rains. And then when the rain stops, Noah starts sending out birds, and the birds come back. Until one day when Noah sends out a bird, and the bird doesn't come back. And no one knows that it's safe to come off the boat now. And look at what happens here. We're flipping all the way over to Genesis chapter 8 in verse 15. It says, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, 
you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Sin has brought Noah and his family to where they are right now. This entire situation, this entire scenario was brought about because of sin. That sin requires God's justice and that's where we find Noah experiencing God's justice. But that sin also showed us God's mercy and that's what happened in the fact that Noah and his family were preserved. But you see the essential part of this Both of those are part of God's character. And both of those should lead us to worship God. Because that's who God is. We can't take the mercy part. Okay, I I love God's love and I love his grace and his mercy and it makes me feel good. And say, you know what, I don't really like the justice part. I don't really like the jealous, wrath, anger part of who God is. If if we're going to say we follow God, we've got to take all of who God is. And all of those aspects of God should lead us to worship God because that is what makes God, God. Look at what Noah does here in verse 20 of chapter 8. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Another reason why he needed more than two of everything that was clean. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. What is the first thing Noah does when he gets off the ark? What's that? He builds an altar and he worships God. He builds an altar and he takes some of these clean animals and he makes a sacrifice to God. He worships him. You see, what Noah understands here is that God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship because of what we see right here. When he's just and does something as major as almost wiping out the entire human race, he's worthy of worship because of that. When he shows his mercy and his grace on just a few because of his love for humanity and his creation, he's worthy of worship because of that. I see a lot of times we worship God and we thank God and we praise God when we feel good about God. When we feel close to God. When God has done something in our lives that we think is incredible. We're going to camp in just over a month. And those of you who have been to Snowbird or are going to Snowbird... That's an incredible experience. Because for a week, you are focused on God. And you learn who God is. And you see God work. And you feel God's presence. And we worship God during that time. But what about when you come home and school starts and you've got the worst schedule you could even imagine and you don't like your teachers and your parents are giving you a hard time and you don't make the ball team that you thought you were going to make and maybe you start driving and your car breaks down or you wreck it two weeks later after you start driving 
Do you worship God then? Do you feel the same way? Do you respond to God the same way then as you did when you were on that camp high? We should. Yes, it's hard. But when we look at Scripture, Scripture tells us that God is worthy of worship no matter what is going on in our lives. Because it's not about us. It's about God. It's about who He is. It's about what He's done. It's about His very nature and His character. Not about how I feel at the moment. There's days, some of you come in here, there's days I come in here, and to be honest with you, I don't feel like worshiping. I don't want to sing. I know some of you don't because you don't. You talk. Or you just stand there. That's a good thought. But you know what? When we do that, all of a sudden we've made worship about how I feel. And worship's not about how I feel. Worship is about who God is. It's not about me and what kind of day I've had. It's about the fact that God is holy and just and righteous and merciful and perfect. And He deserves my worship. No matter how I feel. And when we understand God's character, when we start to look at who God is, we start to see that He deserves our worship. And just like God gave Noah and his family a round two, He gave them the opportunity to start over. In all of creation, that one family got the chance to start again. He gives every single one of us the same opportunity. Every single one of us Just like every person from the time Adam and Eve sinned, we are born with a sin nature. And we are born separated from God. And just like humanity then, God wants a relationship with us just as badly as he did with them. But God's nature demands that he deal with the sin in our lives. His justice. But that same justice And his nature shows us his mercy and the fact that he dealt with it by sending Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on a cross. And he didn't just die on the cross. I've talked about this before, about the pain that he experienced before he ever got to the cross. The beatings, the whippings, the crown on his head. When they put the cloak on his back after his beating and that blood, you know what happens to a bandage after a while. And it dries and it sticks and they rip that cloak back off his back. Jesus Christ experienced every bit of that because of God's justice. But he also experienced every bit of that because of God's mercy. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what God did for us. God sent Jesus, God in human form, to experience what you and I couldn't handle. The consequences of our own sin. And because He did that, we get a round two. We get the opportunity to have a posture on our knees before God and to say, God, please forgive me for my sin. For every choice, every decision, every thought that I've had that's about me and not about you. And Scripture tells us that if, if we believe it, If we believe it in our heart, if we confess him as Lord of our life with our mouth, and let me tell you this right now, whether you confess it or not, he is still Lord of your life. 
You just have the opportunity to acknowledge it because he is Lord over everything. But scripture tells us that if we confess it with our mouth, if we admit that we're sinners, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ died for us and rose from the grave, we get around two. We get another opportunity to be in the relationship that God created us for. To know him intimately. Not just at camp. Not just when you've had a good Bible study or when you've had a good quiet time. But all the time. To know that God is there. To know that you can turn to him no matter what's going on. And to know that because of who he is, not how we feel, we get to worship him. So my question to you tonight is what is your posture towards God? If God has given you a round two, if you have asked God to forgive you of your sins, if you have said, you know what, I'm going to follow him with the rest of my life, what is your posture tonight? Are you there? And he's over here and you're kind of looking this way? Or maybe you're looking, you're facing him, but you're still distracted. Are you truly in a posture of worship before God and who he is? Not just because of how he makes you feel, but because he's God and because of who he is. I want to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask you a question. Nobody looking around, please. Nobody looking around. I want to ask you to be honest for a minute. Well, I want you to be honest all the time, but really be honest right now. How many of you would say, you know what? I know I belong to God. I know I've been forgiven by him. God has shown me his justice and his mercy, and I know what Jesus Christ did for me. But my posture is not one of worship. I'm in my round two, but my posture is not one of worship tonight. I want to ask you just to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to raise, raise it up high so I can see it. Okay? You can put them down. Thank you for being honest. How many of you would say, you know what? I'm worshiping God. I'm doing what I can right now. Yeah, I may mess up on occasion, but I'm focused on him and I'm looking at him. I want to pray for you too. I want to ask you if you'd raise your hand. Okay? Good. God, I just want to I just want to come before you right now, God. You know what? Before I go any farther, let's let's change our posture. I'm going to ask you to get out of your chair and get on your knees in front of your chair. Keep your heads bowed if you can, your eyes closed if you can, but let's change our posture as we come to God right now. Get on your knees in front of your chair. God, we come to you right now. And God, we're thankful. We're grateful for who you are. God, thankful that, that, that you show us these true accounts like Noah. And show us what your justice demands. God, how you have to deal with the sin that exists in us. God, I also thank you for your mercy. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him so that we can know you the way you created us to know you. God, we may not live in perfection, but you've given us the opportunity to know your grace and your love and your mercy in the way that you deal with our sin. And God, I want to pray right now 
for everybody that raised their hand, God, that said, you know what, my posture is not one of worship because of who God is. God, I want to pray that you will help each one of us to focus on you. God, even the days we don't feel like it, even the days when, when things are not going the way we want them to go, God, I pray that you will help us to still look at you and still worship you in the midst of the chaos. Not because of how we feel, God, but because you are God and because you are worthy of our worship. And God, for those who said that they are already doing that, oh God, I thank you for that. God, and I pray that you will help each one of us to have that posture, that heart, that attitude of worship towards you. And if there's anybody in here, I know I know most of you, I know your faces, you've been around here a while. But if you look at where you are right now, and you know for a fact that you're not in your round two yet, because you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to talk to me before you leave here tonight. Just grab me off to the side or talk to Miss Diana or talk to Mr. Billy. And let us help you start that tonight. Because that is one of the most incredible things, the most incredible thing you will ever experience is walking with God. As scripture tells us, Noah walked with God. Change your posture tonight if you haven't already. It's hard. It will be tough on a daily basis. But it's the best place we can be. Is on our knees before a God who is just and who is merciful and who loves us above all creation. God, we love you. And we thank you that you are God. And that we can read your word and know your character. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.